0: Hello and welcome to Public Sector Perspectives from Iber Victoria, I'm Nick Basto. The COVID crisis has refocused attention on the idea of digital transformation in the public sector, making it possible for the public sector to take advantage of the unique tools and service delivery options that digital technology creates has been a long-term goal and it's been the focus of countless conferences, seminars, presentation and TED Talks. The switch to remote working that's been driven by COVID feels like a step towards a more digital future for the public sector. But if we all end up back in the same work cubicles in a post-COVID world, how much change will really have been achieved? Today, we talk to Dr. Steve Hodgkinson, the Chief Information Officer at the Victorian Department of Health and Human Services. With more than 10,000 full-time equivalent staff, DHHS is a big department, providing children, family and disability services, public and social housing, as well as policy, strategy and commissioning of services in Victoria's healthcare system, including hospitals. Steve Hodgkinson's position gives him an overview of how digital change happens or doesn't happen across large and complex government departments. His previous experience working on the New South Wales Government's ICT Advisory Panel, and as Global Chief Analyst for Public Sector Research and Advisory Services at the consultancy Ovum, also gives him broader perspective on how public sector service providers are responding to the challenge and the opportunities of digital service delivery, internally and externally. As you'll hear, Steve's a digital pragmatist, and he's wary of what he calls the idea of capital T transformation. Instead, he's a believer in what he calls digital fitness the ability to implement change in small increments and then test those changes constantly rather than going for one big bang of transformational change. The job title of Chief Information Officer started in the early 1980s, but the digital revolution of the last 20 years has really brought a new focus onto the position. So I began by asking Steve about how he describes his work to people and how that work fits into an organisation as big and complex is dhhs
1: yeah okay so i see my my um mission if you like is to try and enable executives across the department to use digital technologies to the fullest degree possible to to implement their policy and service delivery agendas so it's it's an enabling function in an organization like dhhs where the core functions of the organisation are very much frontline facing child protection, the health system, emergency response, social housing. Um, But but increasingly in um, public sector administration generally, and particularly in health and human services, the use of digital technologies to make things more efficient and more available and more connected, more integrated is fundamental. These days, you just cannot do our work without technology. And so it's really, really critical that we get better at deploying technology and using it in smart ways to enable policy and service delivery operations and reform. So we've just got to keep doing things better, and technology is at the core of it. So my job is to try and orchestrate that, create the environment for it to happen better.
0: I want to take you back to the moment when the size of the organisational response, and I suppose the size of the organisational, the digital challenge mm. that DHHS was going to have to make uh, when the COVID crisis became clear. I just wonder, where were you and what had just happened? And then I suppose, what was the first thing that you did?
1: Yeah, yeah. So this this all unfolded just before I was about to go and leave in Europe for like a once in a decade family reunion holiday. Um, And so what actually happened was, as it was starting to unfold, we put in place some mechanisms. I have a very, very good and capable team. Um, And so I made sure that my team was on point for how how this might evolve and made sure that we had appointed someone in my team. Um, John Henderson, as it turned out. So my team is is, um, responsible for engagement around IT across the department, so John Henderson for strategy and planning and service design work, Fiona Sparks, application development work, Ray Baird, Um, the chief data officer, David Stevens, and operations work. So I made sure that the team was um, alive to what might happen and that we had appointed someone, John, to be the coordinator of anything that might emerge out of the pandemic as it developed um, so that we could start to get a coordinated process for how we might respond. Um, and then I went on leave. <laughs> so I was in Europe um, when it when it all unfolded for uh, what was a four-week holiday, which was caught short after one week. And we all ended up flying back and being quarantined just at the start of the quarantine period that was put into place in Australia. So since then, I've been working from home, as have most people in the department. Um, and the mechanisms that have been in place ever since then have been um, through uh, team, Microsoft Teams meetings, coordinating, managing projects and trying to orchestrate things as, as a, a, a hugely complicated and rapid um, swirling kind of a crisis from one day to the next has, has unfolded before our, all of our eyes, really.
0: Steve, I'll, we'll come back to the sort of response from DHHS, but I guess the obvious question to ask you, is, what was your observation of the quarantine
1: um, process? Oh, look, at um, I, I, was, uh, I was in four, 14 days locked in my house and visited three times by Victoria Police during that time to make sure that myself and members of my family were all in quarantine. So it actually, you know, from my perspective as a consumer of it, um, did its job perfectly well. <laughs>
0: all right, so DHHS is, a, as you said, it's a very large and it's a very complex department. Um, it provides a whole range of really crucial services, and of course, during the COVID crisis, it's I suppose had it. There's been extraordinary pressure put on the sort of the department's the health aspect of the department's work. There are presumably lots and lots of very complex IT information flow processes that go on to make that activity possible, and it's not like you're coming off a blank slate. We've had the bushfire crisis, um, and then I guess the COVID crisis it's all been an extraordinary stress test for any department's sort of systems and services. What have you learned about the digital fitness of those services when they were put under that stress?
1: So there are a lot of issues in a department of this size which um, go back decades in terms of layers of technology and applications, some of which are very modern and some of which are very old. Um, What it's done, of course, is expose the old um, critically. Um, But what it's also done is um, reinforce the core logic of the way we've gone about IT over the last four or five years, which is, and I I like the way you use that phrase, digital fitness, because what we've been trying to do for the last three or four years in a really concerted effort is up our digital fitness. Um, And what that's all about from my perspective is um, it's not so much around the really clever long term plans of, the digital solutions that you need to run a department like this. It's more about your ability to be fit for whatever comes next. <clears throat> because one of the things that I've observed in, a, in this department over the last four or five years is the virtual impossibility of planning any even medium term for what's coming next. Because the department is constantly impacted by environmental things, emergencies, crises of one sort or another, where the most important thing that you have to be able to do is respond quickly, um, and not just in a knee-jerk kind of a way, but respond quickly in a way which enables the incremental building of um, solid things um, as part of a, a cunning plan of sorts. So fitness is all about being fit for whatever comes next. So applied to digital ideas, then digital fitness is about being able to rapidly implement good systems in response to emerging um, situations and then to iteratively evolve those rapidly as the crisis crisis emerges or as um, requirements change as things happen. So in in the pandemic so far, Um, one of the things that's happened is to reinforce that idea within the department. The most important thing is to be able to respond quickly. And if you're doing that from a, um, a, if you're unfit, let's say, if you were were suddenly asked to run a marathon, you are in big trouble if you are unfit. Um, You might not have trained for a marathon specifically, but if you're fit generally, then, you know, you could have a pretty good go at it. And it, it wouldn't, you know, totally destroy you. And so, what we're finding is that kind of logic that we've got. We've implemented more than seventy, probably if you counted them up, more than a hundred digital initiatives since the, um, let's say, since the bushfire crisis um, started. And by and large, those have all worked well. So the systems are quickly implemented. They're adequately secure. They're adequately integrated. They leverage platforms and capabilities. And in a large number of small ways, they add up to a significant digital transformation. But not because there was a plan in place at the beginning to do that specific digital transformation. The idea was there is a plan in place at the beginning to be fit for whatever came next and then to be able to respond Capably, efficiently, solidly, with security, with integration.
0: It's interesting the way you describe it. It almost sounds as if in that sort of environment that the actual capabilities of individuals and I suppose workplace people being able to be flexible in the way they work is actually, from your description, almost sounds as important as the IT systems itself. And in fact, even more important, if there is in fact, it's if you have to constantly be re- responding to sort of very short-term, sudden needs.
1: Yes, it, it, and that's that's exactly true in my view. In both a very short and a medium-term way, um, and I use the in, the in articulating my approach to IT, the way we've approached IT in the department, <clears throat> I use the phrase "platform plus agile," and it makes the point that um, <clears throat> it's not sufficient just to try and be agile. <clears throat> um, you, you can't be agile in a modern digital world unless you start with a platform. And, and a platform is a, a broad set of capabilities around, um, in our case, uh, modern cloud services, technology platforms, um, security models for those platforms, procurement models to buy them, to contract them, to know that they're safe in all regards, and then well established um, capabilities, teams of people, vendor relationships to do um, incremental build outs on those platforms of new applications. So if you have a platform like that, and you can, you could characterize the platform as being digitally fit. So the start is to be digitally fit and able to implement new applications quickly and in a secure manner. And on top of that, if you are also have an agile mindset, if you're thinking in a flexible way, if you're aware of the opportunities of digital technologies, and if you are able to implement things in small increments rather than large big bang, kind of mad science experiments, if you're able to think and act in an agile way, then these platforms enable you to do things really quickly and really well. And, and that's, that's digital fitness in our view. And that, from my perspective, is the most important capability that a CIO needs to be able to create in an organisation. Because then, without needing to predict the future, you know that, that that you're at least fit to cope with it.
0: So you're describing, I suppose, a set of capabilities uh, and systems that obviously have been extraordinarily important in terms of the COVID response. But it sounds to me like those uh, would also be part of the prescription for the long-term digital transformation of the public sector as a whole. With with someone with your sort of long experience and involvement in the sector and the sort of and the use of digital services by government, do you think COVID is actually accelerating that digital transformation of the public sector?
1: Yeah, without without question, Um, for the moment, shall we say so. One of the fundamental things that is a catalyst for digital transformation is people being open to doing things differently, using digital technologies and to the opportunities that technology creates to fundamentally change the way you do things better, hopefully. Um, So one of the things that COVID crisis has created is the forced um, transition to remote work, which is like astonishing in its speed and what it has what it has made people realize is that you cannot do your work unless you can do it digitally so at the start of the pandemic people there there were many parts of the public sector that still substantially operated on paper signing briefs signing documents shipping paper around all of that for no reason other than that was their habit was the technology to do all this existed a decade ago, pretty much, and it's got better and better and better in the last four or five years. So it's opened people's eyes to the possibilities by making necessity the mother of invention. So that is a good step change thing, I think.
0: We've talked about uh, working from home, working remotely, and some of the tools that's enabled. There's a lot of discussion at the moment about whether we will return to work uh, whether the sort of return to physical workplaces, you know, how, how desirable is that, and those arguments on both sides. Um, do you think that the sort of, the, I suppose, that digital transformation in that movement away from paper, though, is that permanent? Do you think that's the sort of like, yes, people might go back to be working in big offices, maybe at some time in the future. But that sort of paper, the, the switch away from paper is not going to be reversed.
1: I, I, I hope so. I think so. Um, i'm optimistic in that regard just because once i love that quote who was it um anyway a mind once expanded never regains its original shape so yep. i think this is true but i'm a great believer in um, the art exposing people to the art of the possible is a big part of our platform plus agile approach because it's, the faster you can get a new thing in front of people the faster they, the, the, the universe is expanded by what they've seen and what they've experienced. So I think the whole of the world has been exposed to a fundamentally different shift in the way of doing things and thinking about things. And not, all, not everyone will perceive it as necessarily a good shift, but the shift has happened, I think. Now, whether they will um, snap back, um, some people will snap back, nostalgic kind of reasons, because they preferred it the old way. But in organisations where there is a pressure to, to do things um, more efficiently, better, etc., where that's a conscious design, then I think the snapping back kind of will be prevent will be resisted by the desire to to stick with the more efficient model. So, like, I don't see the idea that we would, in the public sector, for example, go back to paper briefs to ministers. Like, I just don't see that happening ever again because everyone's been exposed to the idea that that's unnecessary and there's a better way to do it. So there's lots of other things where people, um, in, in terms of remote working, then I think there will be a substantial shift to a hybrid a retention, if you like, of a hybrid remote working logic, because um, it's better for organisations in terms of efficiency and office utilisation and costs, etc. But I think most people have realised it's also better from a lifestyle perspective if you can also have some time in the office or some time in, in hubs or get back some of the social face to face interactions that I think we value. If we can get some of that back, then I think most people would want to have a balance and be in more control of whether or not they had to go into the office today or not. And the technologies that have been provided, you know, by magic, really, you know, in a very short space of time, have given people that flexibility personally and a little more self-control over that. Um, Organisations have been forced to provide it, you know, in that way. Um, and I think most people would see that as, at least to some degree, a good thing. Um, how it then kind of combines with some new model of um, combining working in the office and, you know, working from home. It, in a way that's not, I hear people often say, I'm, I don't feel like I'm working in, at home, I'm sleeping in the office. <laughs> you know, everyone's kind of over it a bit. Um, but I think it's all good. And the logic that it creates is, is actually everyone's forced now to think how they can do things digitally and in small ways, and those small ways accumulate to major transformations, I think.
0: I guess in that issue of major transformations, one of the things that COVID has done is, is I suppose, exposed what governments in around Australia and around the world, how they're responding I wondered from your perspective, do you see governments that do seem to have been able to adapt or quickly develop digital services in response to the needs of COVID that do strike you as interesting and innovative?
1: Look, there's. I I always struggle with this because I I used to work in whole of government kind of IT in in an office of the CIO where a lot of the thinking was about trying to compare ourselves to other jurisdictions around the world and go you know the uk are better at this or the us are better at that etc etc and when you look around it's very hard to look at models that are you could say are really successful and just want to be like them um because these things are so bound up in the way we think and operate and work within a state or a national Jurisdiction. The most important thing from my perspective is that, is that idea of digital fitness and, and focusing on um, accelerating the cadence of that activity. And so, states or, or jurisdictions that manage to do that, I think, do better. Um, because the alternate view is that, oh, no, no, that's, but that all seems quite small and incremental. You know, you really need a big bang, you need big projects, you need big money. And, and I, I'm very, very suspicious of that whole thing. <clears throat> because in, in the long run, when you look at jurisdictions around the world that, that fly the flag of their big transformation agendas and such like, um, they always get a good run in the media and conference circuits and everyone talking about their big transformations that they've done. But often when you kind of, in a more measured way, look at it a few years later, you know, you see the whole thing came to a screaming halt or was a dead end or never really achieved the things that people said on the conference podium. Um, And it, you know, it's a various forms of a qualified kind of a success at best. And if you were more critical, you look at a lot of them and you say that it was just an outright failure. Um, But because it was dressed up with so much um, political um, agenda and so much money and too big to fail and all of this type of thinking, then, you know, you kind of, you, you, I'm, so I'm very suspicious of that whole logic. What, what I try and focus on is this whole idea of fitness and cadence. The most important thing is a deep capability to be digitally fit and able to do rapid iteration of, um, of things incrementally And I like to use the phrase, um, keep calm and do useful things better. That is a really powerful transformation agenda. Um, But I characterise it as a, it's like a small T transformation um, as opposed to a capital T transformation. And the, the problem with capital T transformations is they often, despite all of the talk and PowerPoint slides and rhetoric, achieve nothing over years and years and years and the problem is over that over those years everyone thought that this transformation was occurring only to discover years later that it wasn't and didn't and so focusing on lower lowercase t transformation is all about seeing transformation happen before your eyes in small increments and finding out discovering things that work And doubling down on those and doing more of them, and finding out things that don't work and stopping doing them really quickly, Um, and that's the platform plus agile approach.
0: I suppose one of the interesting points in that world that you've described is there's not necessarily a a particularly a strong uh, role for sort of political a political championship. Uh, And I wondered whether you think, in fact, is that emphasis on having a sort of political champion for digital transformation within the sort of, you know, within elected leadership, is that it doesn't sound like you think that's essential to actually get that small-scale, lowercase t, transformation going?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, that is my view in my experience. Um, The issue, I think, is that, um, well, it gets into politics and, you know, public servants shouldn't delve, you know, in those conversations too much. But from my perspective, what we need from governments is a commitment, a long-term commitment to sustainable investment in digital fitness. Um, what we don't need from governments is um, a kind of ideologically driven big bang, mad science experiment type policies and programs. But The the problem is that, um, you know, ministers often feel obliged to come up with a silver bullet solution for something or other. Um, And then it just creates this whole inexorable big bang kind of logic to things, which in technology sense these days is the absolute antithesis of a useful way to go about technology-based transformation. Because, and particularly when they become... Ideologically driven, you end up by definition, if it's politically charged, having something that 50% of the political arena is opposed to, even if it's a good idea, <laughs> just because it's part of a political agenda. And I think there's a lot of that problems in the NBN, for example. Um, <clears throat> so I don't. So I'm a good fan of keeping keeping these things below the radar. Um, and what we need from from governments is an awareness of the reality of the dynamics of technology-based change and the necessity for a continual stream of investment which is managed as an investment portfolio, a a large portfolio of relatively small investments that enable agile change to occur, as opposed to a small portfolio of large risky investments, if I can put it that way.
0: You've talked about the need for sort of, I suppose, a, a short-term, very flexible uh, approach. But I'm now so, but now I'm going to ask you a, about a, a, predi- a long-term prediction, which is in 12 months' time in what's hopefully a COVID-free world or, or at least a COVID normal world, whatever that looks like, um, what do you think would be some of the signs that you would want to see that across the Victorian public sector, we were making progress towards that, I suppose, um, you know, flexibility, agility uh, approach to digital transformation?
1: Well, firstly, I think we would want to see a sus- what felt like a sustainable hybrid <clears throat> um, home remote um, office working. So, um, so that would feel like we had made the transition to digitally enabled work as a public sector without needing to snap back to everyone working in the office now again so that would be one thing and then the second thing i think would be coming out of the pandemic with the realization that um, we had made necessity the mother of invention by putting in place a, a, a portfolio of modern digital solutions which worked and which were everyone could see were effective, and the way of going about that was regarded as effective. I think that would be a demonstration to everyone of the the power of digital technologies, for a start, to enable these new things to be done, but also the way of going about it, which did not require um, kind of traditional, big bang, waterfall methodology projects, um, and nonetheless was able to get the job done in fact did it very well none of the projects were particularly large or risky they all just kind of happened the resulting systems are fit for purpose and being used they're secure the information is flowing better you know and i think everyone if they could look back and see that they would going to go well how did that all happen um and well it happened because we were digitally fit at the start Um, And when you, you know, when you digitally fit, these things are not really that difficult, as long as there is a reason to do it. And the pandemic created the reason to do it.
0: That brings us to the end of this episode of Public Sector Perspectives, which is produced for IPA Victoria. You can get in touch with Public Sector Perspectives via info at vic.ipaa.org.au or via IPA Victoria on all the usual social media channels. I'm Nick Bastow and thanks for listening.